Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 128 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I share our thoughts and notes with each other on the books we're reading for the first time. If this is your first time listening, we suggest reading Red Dragon by Thomas Harris from chapter 6 through chapter 11 before listening to this episode. That way you too can follow along. I never said by R.A. Salvatore when we did the the Drizzt stuff. I mean, I'm just I, saying. Well, it's because maybe you have to respect the author to notice when you don't say it. I don't think I ever said J.K. Rowling after every book. You really just want it for this one. I don't know exactly why, but I don't think it's a thing we uh, ever maybe did. Maybe you have we, to like, respect it like the author to notice that you didn't say it. We should respect our format and not diverge willy-nilly. I should respect your face with my fist. You should just respect my face. Oof. Uh, <laughs> with, <laughs> okay with whatever part of you you see fit Ugh. so <laughs> do we have any housekeeping i don't think so well i don't have any i don't think i don't think there's anything we said we were gonna do that we haven't done we're so set in stone here let's just do the show how about that all right, so Rob, where does that put us? Chapter 6. All right, here's a quick summary from Chapter 6 of Red Dragon by Thomas Harris, an author I respect. Will interviews Mr. Parsons, who reported the irregular meter, meter readings last the last time we did an episode. Uh, Mr. Parsons is he's an old man. He's helpful but crotchety, and his memory is rusty. By the end of the chapter, Will decides he needs to meet with Hannibal before m- the murders start again. And that's basically it. I mean, it's, it's, it. a, it's a real quick summary, dirty summary of what happens in that chapter. Um, I do have a, a, a note. Okay. And a note. A what, note. Is, what is your note? My note's on page 73. Uh, here, Graham describes the way a community reacts when they're told a murderer is on the loose. Uh, specifically like a serial murderer, a brutal murderer. He describes people shooting their own loved ones when they come home late and surprising their family in the night. And I've found in my experience that that is exactly what happens when a predator is about. Like, the prey specifically begin alarming until the threat is dealt with uh, and more innocents lie dead in the dirt. So, consider not giving law enforcement shit when you don't understand why they're keeping information from the public. I know it's difficult to believe sometimes, but it just might be for your own good. You're giving me all these quizzicals. I'm just trying to connect point A with point B. We had a a serial killer in our city years ago. No. And law enforcement didn't tell anyone because they assumed that if the public knew, they would start doing weird shit. And it would also alert the person they were searching for that they were onto this string of things and they had made the connection that this is all the same person. When a predator knows that they are being hunted, they hide. So if you, if you, if something like the news media goes out and starts saying, we think we have a serial killer. Let's tell everybody that there's a serial killer out there. We should tell everyone this and people pay attention, then everyone knows, including the person being hunted. The killer. Um, Yeah. Then uh, 
it changes the dynamic and makes it harder for law enforcement to do their job. Also, it sends a lot of people into a frenzy, which, and and they start behaving erratically and strangely. They start jumping at shadows. They start seeing murderers where there are none. Gotcha. And they start doing things like shooting their loved ones, as Will described in the story. This is a fictional example, but that rings very true to the experience we had here a couple years ago. So that's what I'm, that's the connection I'm making is gotcha. that, that that's what Will's talking about. And I, I am, I'm saying like, from my experience, like being around different sides of those stories, some people take the argument of like, no, there's literally no reason not to share more information all the time. But when your job isn't making sure like your job isn't to actually catch that person. You, I don't really think you should be able to make that call for the people whose job it is to catch that person. Unless of course they enlist your help for it and they come to you and say, Oh, by the way, this is something that's happened. What happened here was not like that. Mm -hmm. It was much more like somebody spoke who shouldn't have, or somebody put pieces together and instead of getting confirmation from law enforcement or waiting for confirmation from law enforcement, they jumped the gun and decided to tell everyone BT dubs, totally a serial killer. And then eventually there had to be a press conference. You remember all this, right? I'm not just not really. Oh, okay. But I believe um, you. Thanks. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, interesting. And that's exactly and so. It's one of those things that I found interesting in reading this book was that moment where I'm like, "Oh, Thomas Harris gets it." I mean, Somehow, I, I, Thomas Harris gets it. I think he was a reporter, but yeah, you know, one of the good ones. Back in back then, yeah. Because clearly, he doesn't like the Freddie Lounge style of journalism. Oh no, he's really shitting on. I love that he like has that character be a bad guy. Like, ugh. 1981. Yeah. And knowing how long it takes him to write a book, he probably started this in the seventies. Well, I mean, I would I would venture to guess that the that he probably started at the same time he's saying that Will caught Hannibal, so probably seventy six. Yeah, okay. Because they mention that that date a lot, or regular, somewhat regularly. Sure. Anyway, reiterate the point. Uh, that was a really good insight, and uh, I, I like that he put that in there. Good job, good job right. making that that comment because and I I, I like I don't I, it sounds like you didn't pick up on it the same way I did. I noticed um, it. I didn't. It didn't have the same resonance for me. Right, and so it makes me wonder like how if if people are really picking that up when they read that and go, oh look, there's a reason why. Like, yeah. Anyway, it's a. Uh, it's fine. Well, do you have any more notes in that chapter? Because I don't. I got a couple notes. I got uh, the details about the funerary rites of the uh, Jacoby's cat made it that much more awful. Yeah. But of course, I think part of me was subconsciously remembering the passage that happens later where they describe the funeral again. Mm-hmm. And, and the kids discovering, you know, lost for the first time. But it just, all those little details about like little flower being held by the paws made me just go the solemn rite of passage of burying a pet yeah i think that's what he says but i I don't think that was now i think it was later yeah i think that's um this is where we get a mention of lecter's victims 
Two others didn't die. One's on a respirator. The other's in a private hospital. That might become important in a later book. Well, okay. You're not talking about the orderlies, right? No. How many victims? There are like nine. There's two others that did, or nine victims, seven died, or whatever it was. Because nine, definitely nine homicides. But there are two victims that are still alive. Is one of them Mason Verger? One's on a respirator. It was in a private hospital. I'm just saying that detail might become important in a future book. That's all I'm saying. Mason Verger. Okay. Um. Is one of them Dr. Abel Gideon? No, that's not a thing. That is a thing! (laughs) Oh! He was Dr. Disabled Gideon. There was a lot of... Because he lost his legs. He didn't have a leg to stand on. He was unable to be ambulatory, Dr. Abel Gideon. Uh, uh, There was a number of these, but I only wrote down this one, I think. Uh, The exchange where Will's talking with the sheriff, and the sheriff's trying to figure out how Will caught Lecter. And he's like, really, that's it? And Will gets all steamed and says, if you didn't believe me, what the fuck did you ask me for? And the sheriff said, he said, I didn't hear that. And that is from the show. Only it was with Jack Crawford. Okay. Thank you, Rob. Well, it would have been the other way around. It would have been from the book in the show, not from the show. You saw the show first. So for you, it's from the show. But I also know how time works. I don't think you do. I think you've got a very linear perception of time. Rob, why do you say that again? (laughs) I think you have a very linear perception of time. That's an interesting way to put that. I've never heard that before. <laughs> this blew everyone's mind. Um, cool, 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 cool. There's a number of things like that even in this one that I, I, I remember. Well, it comes later. There's, I didn't take a note on it, but there's one where... Uh, so I'm going to jump to it because I'm thinking of it now. Go for it. When, when, when Will leaves Lecter's room cell yeah his cell he he like goes and he he has to sit in the waiting room i, I don't know if it's when he's sitting waiting for Lecter to read this stuff or when he's trying to leave the building but there's a point where he says that he's like looking at the pictures in the wall and grateful that they're they, that they're not shaking or something like that that they're staying still something weird like that something oh i totally like don't a, remember that yeah man now i feel like i should have taken the actual note on it it's like it's literally one sentence this just kind of a throwaway, like, man, do you remember what chapter he goes to Hannibal's? Um, seven is where he starts it, but it might continue into eight. I don't remember. You may want to go backwards from eight because there's all that Chilton stuff at the beginning. Found it. Page 84 for me. There's a summary on top. You can read that now, Graham said. Do you mind if I do it privately? Give me an hour. Graham waited on a tired plastic couch in a grim lounge. Orderlies came in for coffee. He did not speak to them. He stared at small objects in the room and was glad that they held still in his vision. He had to go to the restroom twice. He was numb. Hmm. Yeah, I did not catch that. I have a feeling if I'm if if the show didn't invent this that this is the onset of his encephalitis 
was part of his problems of going crazy uh, or becoming sick. I can certainly say I can see that Brian Fuller may have used that line as the basis for encephalitis. Well, yeah, and the, the night sweats. Yeah, oh, yeah, that that I do remember, putting the towel um, down. Yeah, yeah. that happened early in this book. And it so did. I'm like, and again, I'm like you said, the way time works, I did see the show first, so there are there's a lot of stuff I'm looking to find, yeah. um, like the encephalitis stuff. But uh, little things like that, it was interesting. Uh, we talked about the pendulum earlier. I feel like these are things that would become visual aids in the, in the show, mm-hmm. like where like maybe Will could hear like – there's a another part where he talks about how he can hear his own heartbeat, like kind of like helicopter blades, like this low whirring. Mm-hmm. And I feel like all that stuff informs the like uh, nonverbal literacy of the show. And I feel like that other one, the thing about like small objects, like shaking or, or being a little bit like blurry was a thing that happened in the show uh, pre- preceding the encephalitis arc. I don't remember why I started talking about that, but I did notice it. Do you have any more notes in that chapter? I don't. Well, well other than other than it ends with he has to see Lecter. He does. Okay, well then what happens in the, the next chapter then is chapter 7. Chronologically, yeah, there you go. Um <laughs> so, <laughs> summary. Uh Dr. Chilton who like runs the Baltimore Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Mm-hmm. Um, preps Graham for interviewing Dr. Lecter. Will interviews Dr. Lecter, and Lecter helps him learn more about the Tooth Fairy. The interview unnerves Graham, and he leaves the room after Lecter declares that the reason Will caught him in the first place was that they are exactly the same, suggesting a shared psychopathy. Or mutual. Uh, I have a lot of notes. Oh, let's one. go. I, I really only have one note, and it's about the uh, a device used in the chapter, and you may have picked up on it too, so we'll see. Um, uh, I probably did, maybe. All right. Um, well, I don't know. I'm just going to read through my you notes. You read your cause, notes. Because I'm the, I'm the rookie here. You are the rook. Um, age before beauty, as they say. Time's right? a construct, so it works. Draw me a clock. Um <laughs> Page 77. Uh, This is a simple, silly note. Apologies for having made it at all. Uh, Because the Silence of the Lambs film is set in the 90s and Hannibal the series is set in the 2010s, I'm having a hard time appreciating that Red Dragon the book is set in the 1970s or early 80s. It's hard to visualize. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Although I think Silence of the Lambs the book may be 86 or 88. So that's still kind of in keeping with the time, but yeah, but it feels like a '90s movie for some reason. There's something about. Oh no, the movie the... is definitely '90s. No, I know that. I mean, I just mean like when I say feels like or looks like, I'm talking about like the aesthetics. Like okay, the, okay. The settings should look like they're in that time. Sure. And I'm having a really hard time placing all this in what I what my memory or my visual literacy tells me 1970s looks like. Mm-hmm. Like even if I'm trying to go for like like. Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> I, I like I said that's hard. It's hard for me to to like picture these uh, uh this kind of of law enforcement intelligence happening in the 1970s. What about like uh, David Fincher's Zodiac? Wouldn't is that, would that the help? one about? Is that the one about the son of Sam? So about the Zodiac killer. There's the one about the Zodiac killer. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it. Oh okay. I really thought you would have. Okay, well no, never mind. I have not. 
What about the Amityville Horror with Josh Brolin? Never seen it. Or James Brolin, sorry. No, still haven't uh, seen it. The Omen. No. Exorcist. No. What? You haven't seen The Exorcist? You know this. You were baiting me. <laughs> I wasn't. I You're forgot. Baiting me. There's got to be some 70s movie with a French connection. Nope. Superman. Yes. There you go. But it's not really a, like a law enforcement movie. What are you talking about? It's all is it's all about truth, justice, and the American way, and upholding the law. Right, Superman stops that cat burglar on the outside of the building. Something wrong with the elevator? Yeah, see, I remember he with that movie. I mostly law. remember uh, "You've Got Me, Who's Got You," and that's it. That's all I remember that exclusively. Or the, the 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 criminals on the boat, and he he flies the whole boat to the police station and leaves. Like, how the fuck are they gonna get that boat out of town? I don't I don't remember it. Do you remember him saving the cat from the tree and giving it to the girl? And she goes and said, Mommy, Mommy's a flying man. And her mom's, haven't I told you to stop smelling lies? And she smacks her. No. We're going to do it at least like eight more minutes. I'm going to move on. Okay. (laughs) My point was I'm having trouble visualizing this movie as a 70s cop story. Well. Um, Maybe there's there's an episode or a season of Fargo that takes place in the 70s. um, That is a, oh, it's pretty good. Um. But like that, that'd be the closest I could get, and even that's like feels like it's pushing it. Okay. So it's just interesting to realize that like this this story has taken you know it's been visualized in so many different time periods that it's hard for it. It makes it difficult to visualize it the way it was originally written or published. Uh, next note, same page. I find it interesting that Chilton compares examining Dr. Lecter to Beaumont's examining of St. Martin's digestion through his stomach, considering so much of examining Dr. Lecter also involves digestion. Mm. Do you know that story? I almost looked it up, but didn't. I do, actually. Uh, I believe I do. I know a story of this that's very similar to this. Okay, tell me it. Which is essentially that... um, uh, okay, this is super... I did not look this up ahead of time. Apologies if I am absolutely 100% inaccurate. So I will remove all the possibilities for inaccuracies and go to the basic thing that's correct. There were two guys. One of them observing, one of them had a big hole in his tummy. And the hole in his tummy went right into his stomach. And so what they were able to do was they would put food in there and then close it up or like, and then peek in at it to see how much... They would time it and see how long it took for the human body to digest food or certain amounts of food or certain types of food and then it would catalog it and write it down like broccoli took this long beef took this long cheese this size took this long and that's how we learned about how digestion works why did he have a hole in his stomach that's the part i don't remember enough to talk about without having looked it up okay it sounds icky but okay it's very icky <laughs> yep okay and they kept it open Ugh. It was a good party trick. He could be his own ventriloquist dummy. I mean, you could be too if you tried hard enough. That's true. Do you think he could like, like, use bellows to fill it with air and then burp a hole? I think he could eat whatever he wanted and then just scoop it out and be like, no calories. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, Jenny Craig. Hi. I'm on the St. Martin's diet. I have a neat little hole in my belly that I eat whatever I want and just poop it out my side. No colostomy bag necessary. Just straight into a doggy bag. Straight into a doggy bag that I can toss out the window as I drive home. It's great. (laughs) In your medieval car. 
All right, here's a long one. So okay. Uh, forgive me. This is my chapter overview. So maybe you know, should go first. All right, go for it. You do whatever you okay, want. Okay, well, here it is. This chapter is superb. It starts with Chilton laying out all the ways Lecter is terrifying and ends with Hannibal declaring that Will and he are the same. This one chapter does a lot of hard work for what I imagine is the novel's overall theme. Will knows he has these tendencies and is constantly fighting against becoming the evil he's so good at catching. Everything in this chapter is superbly crafted. Lecter reading a cookbook before sleeping. The way Will burned the Christmas card Lecter sent him and, and washed his hands... Uh, washed his hands after, that is, after burning them, suggesting that Will doesn't want any shred of Hannibal to pierce his consciousness. By page 83, we're having multiple conversations at once, and each uh, conversation progresses our understandings of the characters deeply, or deeper. Lecter is so perceptive that he's able to show Will and the readers that he's uh, sussing out information ab uh, about Will that Graham isn't volunteering, but is nonetheless visible to Dr. Lecter as uh, as the clothes Will's wearing. It's that perceptible. It's easy to see. Hold on. Absolutely. You're wearing uh you're wearing the cologne a child would pick out. Your skin is tan, your hands are rough, not like a cop's hands. With these observations, Lecter is telling us he's pe piecing together what Will's done since catching him. He's quit law enforcement. He's moved somewhere sunny, not Virginia and not Baltimore. And he's involved with a child, unlikely his own child, being that after three years, it's, the child's old enough to pick out cologne for Christmas. And through all of this, Will keeps redirecting the conversation to the case he's working on. Feeble attempts to control the conversation and limit the time he has to stare directly into Dr. Lecter's evil eyes. Or that is like his, the evil son that is Dr. Lecter. Like, sure. He's 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 being tanned just in his presence, but tanned not on his skin, but in his soul. I just found it like it was just good. It was a lot like that. How that scene kind of really kicks off Silence of the Lambs too, like that same that perception, that observation, that reading of the person. But the whole the whole setup. Sure, it's the same. The back and forth. The like um, your accent. Where does it come from? Kind of like and 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 like. Well, uh, where do you think he finds the girls, Dr. Lecter? <laughs> Why don't you turn that high-powered perceptive on yourself? Uh, uh, Miggs is, is disgusting. <laughs> uh, like, it, it just keeps flopping back and forth in that conversation, too. And I haven't read that book, but I'm assuming that if that interaction's in that book, it's written deliberately exactly the same as this one, or a very mm -hmm. similar structure, mm -hmm. like, like a poem would be. Yeah. Um, and uh, I liked it a lot. That's, that's awesome. All I, that's all I got. I mean, I liked it a lot, too. That's all you've got for this chapter? Yep. Okay. That's not what I was going to talk about, so that's oh, great. Oh, cool. That's exciting. Uh, and I, 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 I had left some notes for myself, or some highlights for myself from the before times, when apparently oh. I noted this last time, and I saw these highlights. I'm like, what am I doing? Oh, that's what I'm doing. And then I picked up more. And I don't think I'm incorrect here. Um and it's this really eerie device that Harris uses where all descriptions, not actions or anything, but all descriptions of Dr. Lecter are in the present tense. Mm. Um, for example, to cover the sound of his footsteps, he followed an orderly pushing a linen cart. Dr. Lecter is very difficult to sli slip up on. 
Dr. Lecter's eyes are maroon, and they reflect the light redly in tiny points. Lecter rose and walked over to his table. He is a small, lithe man, very neat. Uh, he laughed. Dr. Lecter has small white teeth. And the last one, I think, the ones you were talking about, your hands are rough. They don't look like a cop's hands anymore. That shaving lotion is something a child would select. It has a ship on the bottle, doesn't it? Dr. Lecter seldom holds his head upright. He tilts it as he asks a question, as though he were screwing an auger of curiosity into your face. And it just seems like this really subtle, eerie breaking of the fourth wall. It almost like subconsciously is like, through the narration, he's looking at you. That's interesting. It, 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 it makes me just like, oh, when I read it, I'm like, is this happening? Oh, weird. That's interesting. I, that's not how I interpreted it. Well, as you were describing it, it's not how I interpreted it, but I like that interpretation because that's how Will feels. He says at a certain point, like, you know, he feels like Dr. Lecter, Lecter's looking at the back of his mind or back mm. of his skull or something like, like a that. fly like, crawling in his mind. Yes, yes. Um, where he gets inside you in that weird way. Um, but I, I, when you were describing it, it reminded me a lot more of like um, a present danger. Like that term, like like a clear and present danger, sure. like a danger that's nearby, mm-hmm. that would happen in the present tense. Okay. So perhaps like s- framing all of Dr. Lecter's actions or descriptions as being happening in the moment and not in the past. Um, well, but then again, like I don't remember how it was when they were talking about in other chapters. So I, I, this is specifically like in the chapter where Will's talking to him. Right, where he, where he can be seen. Yeah, um, and I don't know if the other books do this. I can't remember. It just it's it's very interesting to to just read it and to be like, oh, we just switched. It is interesting. It it uh, it, but it sounds like that thing that you is important when you're dealing, like I said, with like a threat or a predator. Like you want, it's not scary if the predator's not there. If you're not time slows down and you're aware of everything. Yes, exactly. You you it's it's important to be like focused on the threat mm-hmm. uh, and that's what it sounds like will's doing so it's interesting it's a good note thank you do you have any more in that chapter i don't believe so no advance us sir chapter eight summary dr lecter abuses his right to privately call his legal counsel and instead calls alan bloom's office where he tricks an assistant into giving him will graham's telephone number he muses that he'll send Will a colostomy bag for old time's sake. That's I, all I, that happens in that chapter. Yeah, I have no notes. It's a it's a fun little chapter to see how he plays people. The only thing we all, uh, learn besides that is that Will doesn't necessarily have a or Doctor Alan Bloom does not have a mailing address for Will or a physical address for Will. He just has the FBI offices. So and a PO box in Florida. And a PO, he does have a PO box, but he can't like. It's not his address, not where he lives. But so. I'm sure with that information, someone like Dr. Lecter could easily find it out. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, um, yeah, that's all I have. Do you have any more in that chapter? I do not. Let's get through it. What's the next one? Chapter 9. All right, summary. This chapter gives us our first look at the private life of Francis Dolerhide, alias the Great Red Dragon. We see him experience social awkwardness and public embarrassment centered around his disfigurement. He takes great care to protect himself from his own affliction by avoiding using words with S's in the hopes that it would help hide his lisp. 
Then we see him go home where he watches the home movies he made of the Leeds murder and masturbates while reliving their deaths. It is also revealed that he's selecting the victims from the families who bring film and video to be developed at his workplace. No real notes. No notes at all for me. I really like. I really. In it. I really like the uh, the line at the end where it said every day families were mailing in their applications. Yeah, that was that was kind of a dark twist line. I like it. It is, but it's also like I'm interested to see like with that revelation of like oh this is how he's doing it so early in the book. What's the twist going to be later? Like how am I going to? How's it going to keep me interested? I'm interested in that. Like well, the process of how they figure it out. Only if the the character, if we're still getting peeks into how sinister and violent the character is being while he's not being caught. Hmm. I think that's the only, I think that's how I would expect it to go to keep me intrigued. Because uh, normally it would just be, you don't see anything the murderer does, or you do, but you don't know, you don't get the, the hints. This is kind of like what I was talking about in uh, my first viewing of Silence of the Lambs, how they showed us so much about uh, Buffalo, Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. And that just shocked me because I'm like, why are you showing me this stuff? But it's there. There's an element to this because I don't think it had really been done to this point. I feel like Manhunt or uh, Red Dragon is one of the first books that took a realistic approach to serial killers to to a certain extent. Obviously, I understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah way more than a lot of other books. And a lot of other books, you know, it's the Mad Killer or some sort of. Uh, bizarre lurker at night, the strangler kind of shit. And this one's like, no, here's the cop, here's the killer, here's how they both operate, and here's how they kind of take each, you know, go after each other. Intelligent psychopath. Intelligent psychopath. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good. It's better, especially, like, it's better than slasher films, like the idea that, oh, there's a killer, he's picking people off one by one, and right. in the end, he either succeeds or he's defeated. Okay, I feel like that's how a lot of those, like, crazy mass murderers got uh stigmatized in yeah. in storytelling for a long time still do uh, i think there's a lot more interest in that whole like super smart methodical hunter killer as opposed to the like just massacre man and there's a there's a level of sympathy for dollar hide in this book oh yeah and he's, that's he's presented in a way where you can't help but go oh that's really shitty for him well it's interesting but it's also like it's it's a little not to be that guy, but it's also a little potentially like unfair to people with disfigurements. Explain. Cause it kind of suggests that that's his main motivation. Like his motivations for all of his like psychopathy come from his horrible trauma of being a person with disfigurement. I don't think that's the case. I think we'll get more okay. insight. Great. Right now. That's how it's coming. Fair off. enough. Fair enough. Totally fair like, enough. With the amount of times they're like, is he disfigured? Sure. Oh, sure. does he have a disfigurement? And how many? And then every time we see his chapter, it's like he hides his face, his right. scar, his this and that. It's feeling it so far. There's I, feelings there. I feel like that's more of a byproduct. And, okay. it's, and it's 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 just one well, part of his personality of showing how sensitive he is about this aspect. Sure. And, and that's. Okay, I just, I would be, I don't know. I guess it, I'm sensitive to the idea that someone with an affliction similar, like an uncontrollable physical deformity or some sort of noticeable <sighs> distinction would feel about that being such a heavy part about what this character is about um, as the bad guy. Hold on. So it's very interesting that you bring that up. Um, because there's a movie, it was featured on Mystery Science Theater, called the brute man 
Have you seen it? No. Okay. Um, God, there's so many ways to go about this. Anyways, what you were describing a second ago when you were talking about the old mass murders movie stigmatizing people, uh, ostensibly the movie The Brute Man is about a guy who becomes disfigured and ends up just killing people kind of because of that. And even though they're different, there are some similarities between that movie and this book coming up that I, I don't want to get into yet, but it just amused mm. me. Uh, make a note. Don't forget. I will make a note. But that's for later. Okay. So, I'm uh, but yeah, that's my, it's. I, I just look at it like I, I in the same way that Stanley used to love to tell people, people about how he made blindness heroic with Daredevil and how <laughs> influential and great he is. It's like this feels like the if any of that's true at all, the, uh, this feels like it could be the inverse. Where it's like, no, no, no. Remember, freaks are monsters. Uh, let's never like Todd Browning was right. Let's never forget that these people are monsters. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, eh, it's unsettling. Like, like, like at least in in Tom Todd Browning's Freaks, the end is like sort of villainizing the people who do mock these people and do like vilify them or like treat them as oddities <sighs> i'm i'm glad we're, re- we're reading more of it so that i can see what the the depth is that's coming for this character but anyway i have no more notes in that chapter do you have any more notes nope advance us please chapter 10 summary will investigates the jacoby house and builds a profile for how the killers stalked the house excuse me how the killer stalked the house and planned the murders, including where he parked and how he snooped on the family and the timeline of events. That's not chapter 11? No. You're right. Mm-hmm. I inverted them. I'm sorry. Yeah, so he figures out that the guy, whoever the murderer is, must have, like, he must have wanted to see what was happening the whole time. He must have wanted to watch the family discover these tragedies and experience those pains. And so Will basically figures out that the guy must have been hiding in the woods behind the house, watching the family from a distance. And, uh, and then he goes about and, and figures out where and how and like maps it all out and just determines, oh yeah, it must have been here, it must have been like this. And, and then he finds evidence in this big tree, this elm tree out in the middle of the woods and where he could climb it and get to a spot where he can see the yard and the house pretty well with, especially with some binoculars, he says. And he finds, like I said, this evidence up there of a, a symbol carved into the tree bark uh, and some other like trash that he believes may have belonged to a person camping out up there. Do you think he would have made that connection without Lecter's comment about what he does requires privacy? They're probably fenced in somehow. Just because it got his mind um, working in that way of you maybe, want to see but, him, but you can't see this, so I have to go bigger. Maybe, but Will hadn't even been to the Jacoby house before. Right. No, so I know, he, but I'm so, saying he went to the Jacoby house, and he had that in the back of his mind. Did that? Help well, what I'm saying is, I, I, um, I, I, it's, in, it's impossible to say that it couldn't have because sure. of the way the events happened, and that's, that's what I'm getting at about why it's hard to say that because he, it's not like when he went to the Leeds house before talking to Lecter. He, he, right. you know. He went there and saw what all that was all about, and he had he only had himself. But Will doesn't say anything like, "Oh, Lecter would have." He doesn't think anything. Rather, like Lecter said this, and I'll I'll go through this process. So it sure looks like he was just like, 
putting himself in the mind of the sure. killer like he would have if he had got there by himself in the first But I would also argue the book's too subtle for him to say, oh, Lecter sure. said this, so I think that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I don't think there's any hints either way, so Fair I enough. don't, I have no, I have no impression. Ready to move on to the last one? Yes, I am. Then bring us to... Chapter 11. Summary. Dolerhide reads the Tattler and then writes a letter to Hannibal on quick dissolving toilet paper and seals it with a bite mark and old blood. Probably Leeds blood. I have no notes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean... Just, these, the last couple of chapters of this book, or the, this 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 uh, episode, they just sort of uh, happen. There's not they're, really they're, they're engaging and they're interesting, yeah. but not where I feel like I need to comment on them. Um, we read a whole bunch of Freddie Lowndes. There's a lot of descriptions of other things we've already read or learned about, or uh, we, we 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 get to see his um his style of writing, his uh, inflammatory. He was referring to Lecter, known as Hannibal the Cannibal, who was both a psychiatrist and a mass murderer. Or was he referring to Graham? Kind of bullshit. Well, right. Um. So um. No, it's just a lot of the this now. Dollar Hyde knows that people, high profile people are looking into his murders and he's getting excited about it. And he's, like, he's feeling like he's better than other people. He spits on the girls because mm-hmm. they're beneath him and he, he, he's just elevating himself in his mind. And he's transforming. He is becoming. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much where we sit on this one. Uh, I've got no new words. Well, all right, next time we're reading chapters 12 through 16. It's about 70 pages. Sounds good. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, the next one. Um, I got nothing else. Do you have anything else to say? No, I don't. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Doug. That was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank I you. did it all backwards and forwards. Every time. which way. It's a flat circle. Loose. Can't Can't stop it. Don't drop it. Because gravity and time curve uh, displacement gravity wells HD wells bye if you've enjoyed this podcast please rate review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts these reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers and please discuss us extensively on Reddit I lived there. You lived in Juneau? Yeah, my brother was born there. Cool. Yeah. I think I went to pre-first there. Kindergarten and pre-first. Because I was too smart for kindergarten, and they bumped me up, but they didn't bump me up to first grade. They bumped me up to pre-first with all the rejects who couldn't complete kindergarten on the first try. And thus started my academic decline. I feel like it's a very... I feel like I'm on the precipice of a, like mind-shattering breakthrough with you because like it makes me like because i've never heard of pre-first before it really makes me want to tempt you with the idea that there's no such thing (laughs) and that you were gaslit by your parents and your whoever was running those 
children and like i imagine this sequence where like you're reflecting back on memories from that time and in in retrospect you can tell oh my god it was all put on in someone's backyard <laughs> like it was just like uh it was a you're okay daycare like way to go little buddy you're 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 too smart for s school but all what, of you to what end um I haven't figured that out yet, but there's a con here. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. This isn't kindergarten. It's pre-first grade.